Good morning, everybody. Um, so uh, I, um, I was asked a, a couple of months ago just to think of one or two sermons um, in this time when uh, we don't have a vicar, and um, uh, really out of a desire to can help us to think how we engage with our society and our culture. Uh, I came up with a couple. One was, um, where is God in COVID? And I preached that the other, the other week. Um, today, I thought, well, what about science and faith? Are they in conflict? So that's the title of this sermon today, is uh, Faith in Conflict with Science. Uh, so let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you have given us minds to think and that you've called us to share our faith. We pray now that we would make our minds available to you. Help us to think your thoughts, understand your world and the mission you have set before us better. In Jesus' name, amen. I suppose the question, it may not have been one that you have thought of before, because it really hasn't been a question in your own mind, is science in conflict with faith? You might think, uh, no, what's the question? Why, why, why even ask the question? But it is something that a large number of non-Christians think. A lot of non-Christians would say that faith and science do not mix, and they are incompatible. They are in conflict. Um, they would say science is fact and truth. It's reliable and consistent. We couldn't survive without it. But faith, faith is subjective, opinion, myth, full of inconsistencies, causes wars, better off without religion, etc., etc. And so as Christians, if we are to stand strong in our culture against the tide of opinion, we would do well to clarify and establish in our own thinking and be ready to give an answer to the hope that we have in us. And so today, I just would love to help us, um, to equip us, to engage in these sorts of questions that when we have conversations with non-Christians, we might have something in the toolbox, if you like, to bring out and to engage in conversation when we talk about our faith. And I want to begin with Psalm 19. Uh, it's an amazing Psalm 19. I'd really encourage you to go home and read it. And th there are a number of things I'd really like you to remember or take home with you today. And one of them is that Psalm 19 is divided into two passages, if you like. Francis Bacon, who was, is a famous scientist from around 1600 AD, he believed that God had spoken um, had spoken in two great books 
based on Psalm 19. God has spoken with two great books. Verses 1 to 6, the book of creation. And verses 7 to the end, the book of the Bible. And so if you look at verses 1 to 6, it it says that. uh, It says, the heavens declare. You declare with your mouth, don't you? the, the, The heavens have spoken. They've declared the glory of God. The skies proclaim. Again, the lang- a word of language. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. Literally, they don't use words. They, um, they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet... Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Creation, if you like, speaks of God. We we can know something about God when we look at creation, when we look at, at the scientific understanding, if you like, of creation. Bacon talked about it as the book of God's works. And uh, if you look at it, it talks about the orderliness of creation, day after day. It talks about patterns. It talks about the intricacy of creation. It talks about um, uniformity. And then verses 7 to 14 is the book of God's words. So you've got the book of God's works in the first few verses, first half of the psalm, and you've got the book of his words in the second part of the psalm. And the words, the book of his words, revives the soul. Gives us wisdom as to how to live in this complicated life, complicated world. Gives us joy and understanding. Gives us knowledge of God. Not just about God, creation gives us some knowledge about God, but his word gives us a personal relational knowledge of God. And you see, that that sums up, really, the difference between science and faith. They answer different questions. Science can only answer some questions, the how questions. Science is about mechanisms. Uh, There are some questions that science can't answer. Science science can't answer the why questions. Does the universe have purpose? Why are we here? Why were we created? Science can't answer those questions. Likewise, the Bible can't answer some questions. Um, The Bible can't answer the, the how questions, but it can answer the why questions. Why are we here? The, the, the Bible answers the why questions. Some of the more sort of honest scientists who are atheists recognize this. So Stephen Hawking, a famous scientist, recently died a couple of years ago, um, author of of a brief history of time, he acknowledges this. 
he said, the usual approach of science of constructing a mathematical model cannot answer the questions of why there should be a universe for the model to describe. Why does the universe go to all the bother of existing? Is the unified theory so compelling that it brings about its own existence? Or does it need a creator? And if so, does he have any other effect on the universe? Science and faith answer different questions. And if we were really to think that science and faith were mutually exclusive, in conflict, incompatible, then we would expect all scientists to be atheists. If that was truly true, <laughs> we would expect all scientists to be atheists, and only non-scientists would believe in God. There's some great scientists, though, who have been or are Christians. Let me name one, which may, may be a bit of a surprise to you, and that is Galileo. So Galileo uh, entered into conflict with the Roman Catholic Church um, because at the time the Roman Catholic Church and many of the scientists of the time believed that the earth was the center of the, of the universe and all the planets and stars rotated around the earth. And Galileo uh, proposed that the earth revolved around the sun and so there was this huge argument but he was a Christian. The driving force behind Galileo's quest, uh, questioning mind was his deep inner conviction that the Creator had endowed us with senses, reason, and intellect. And he did not intend us to forego their use and by some other means give us knowledge by which we can attain them. Turns out that, in fact, Galileo were, was a firm believer uh, in God and the Bible, and he remained so all his life. He held that the laws of nature are written by the hand of God in the language of mathematics, and that the human mind is a work of God and one of the most excellent. And there have been plenty of other Christian scientists down the ages, Kepler, Newton, all believed in an intelligent creator God whose brainchild was the cosmos. But there are very famous scientists at the moment, or recent, you know, who've recently lived, to name some, Francis Collins, um, director of the Human Genome Project, Professor Bill Phillips, who won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1997, and we could go on. The other thing to remember when we think about science of faith, though, is that science is based on faith. Science is based on faith. Not, I'm not talking about the Christian faith. I'm talking about assumptions, preconceptions, articles of faith, if you like. What's interesting is that most of us uh, sort of when we hear the word science, we think immediately of certainty. Science is 100% reliable, we think. 
Science gives us certainty. If science says something is a fact, then it must be true, we think and say. But actually, science and scientists rely on articles of faith, preconceived ideas. There, there are dogmas, there are beliefs that are exercised in coming into scientific theories. One of them, I'll just give one example, is the orderliness of creation. Um, let me give you an example. I'm guessing that we all did a physics experiment at school. And we knew the theory, and then we did an experiment uh, to, to, to uh, illustrate the theory. But how many times did your experiment not quite fit the theory? Whether it was something, you know, the law of gravity, and so you measured the drop of a, of a ball bearing and um, hitting the ground, and it doesn't quite um, match the law of gravity. And the explanation, of course, was uh, the resistance of air stopped it from uh, accelerating uh, as it should. And so the answer was either that you had experiment, done the experiment wrongly or that the experiment needs to be refined, but never, never, ever, 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 ever did your physics teacher tell you or, or did not consider that the universe was not uniform. That just was never, ever thought about. It was just assumed. They just assume that the universe is uniform, that if you do the experiment one day, if the, all the, all the um, factors are the same, then you will be able to repeat it the next day. It is an article of faith that the universe is uniform. You see, at the heart of science is it talks about probability, essentially, not certainty. Uh, what do I mean by that? Science observes the world, comes up with a theory, tests the theory with an experiment. The experiment may or may not bear out the theory. If it does, then usually the theory holds until something else comes along and disproves the theory, and you come up with a better theory. Science observes, describes, predicts, but it's not prescriptive. It's not determinative. Science relies on induction. Something happens and therefore we, are, we come to this conclusion. Science doesn't prescribe what nature must be like, only what you would expect it to be like given the observations we have made in the past. And therefore, it's essentially about probabilities, not about certainty. I, you know, for the last, uh, I don't know how many millions of years, the sun has risen in the mornings. And the sun will rise again tomorrow. 
But really, that's a, that's a statement of probability. I, I cannot be 100% certain that is going to be the case. But I, I, I live as, it, as if it is going to be a certainty. And there are other assumptions that scientists make. They make the assumption that uh, we can make sense of the world with our minds. Uh, they make the assumption that the world is intelligible, that it can be understood. They make an assumption about the orderliness or the uniformity, that it's worthwhile, if you like, to explore and understand our reality. You know, did you, that uh, passage from um, Colossians 1, verse 17, of course, we would say that the uniformity, that, you know, that the universe is uniform, but it is rooted in the fact that God holds it together and sustains the creation. That verse um, in, in, one, in Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God sustains the universe. That is why it all holds together as it does. The other reason why we would uh, say that um, what we would say about the, the compatibility or the incompatibility of faith and science is that the scientific method is based on evidence. But so is the Christian faith. The Christian faith is based... So the irony of it is that, that science, um, science relies on faith Christianity is based on evidence. And the evidence is historical evidence, and we'll no doubt explore that when we come to the resurrection. That is the classic moment when we look at the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because that defines the Christian faith over against everything, more, more so than anything else. Let me uh, give you another example, though, of how Christian faith is based on evidence. And that is this, the scientific observation that this universe is extraordinary in just how all the factors come together to make this existence possible. So modern physics and cosmology are coming to the... the, the increasingly coming to the, the, um, the realisation that this universe is amazingly, intricately, delicately balanced, fine-tuned for life and reality as we know it. And there are many spectacular examples of this fine-tuning, such that one, one scientist has said this, the impression of a design is overwhelming is causing scientists to wonder. There's a, um, a scientist, Sir Fred Hoyle, um, confessed that this realization had shaken his atheism more than anything else. And it was a discovery about resonance. I won't go into it. I'm not sure that I completely understand it. But he said, it looked as if a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology. And he came to the conclusion 
that there are no blind forces in nature worth talking about. I want to give you an illustration of what that means. Um, imagine, you might want to close your eyes at this point and, and use your mind's eye. Uh, imagine, uh, let me explain, the, the, the sort of constants of physics, the how this, this universe has put, been put together is so remarkable that it is um, that the chances of it are just out of, beyond our understanding. The chances of all these factors coming together are so unlikely that we, it's difficult con to conceive that it's by chance. Only could it have been by a creator. And this is the sort of, this is the sort of chance that it is, uh, this is the sort of probability that it's by chance. Imagine, if you like, a marksman. And uh, a marksman, the, the target for this marksman is at the far side of the observable universe. The likelihood of all the factors that make up our creation existing at the same time in such a way that we are real is as if someone fired a bullet to the other end of the universe, 20 billion light years away, and hit the target of a coin. That is what it is. It's so unlikely. Let me give you another illustration. I, I, I even I prefer this one. Uh, this is a, an illustration suggested by the astrophysicist Hugh Ross. So it's, it comes with some authority. The likelihood of all the, the constants and all the, the factors of, of reality coming together in such a way that we exist is imagine a column, imagine America with a column of coins covering the surface of the whole of America, extending from America to the moon. So imagine covering America with coins and then building that into a column that reaches the moon. That's something like 236,000 miles away. And then do the same for a billion other continents of the same size. Then in your mind's eye, you paint one coin red and put it somewhere in one of the billion piles of coins that are, cover the surface of uh, America. One, one column covers the surface of, of America and reaches to the moon. You put one red coin somewhere in one of those billion of piles. You blindfold a friend and ask her to pick it out. That is the likelihood of all the factors in science coming together that enable us to exist. That's extraordinary. Now, there are, there are way, other ways of, of explaining that. But the Christian would say, well, but surely one of the most likely explanations 
is that there is a God, an intelligent creator, behind our existence. I've got a friend who, uh, on his forearm, he has the probability factor of, of, it's called the anthropic principle. I think he's got something like X to the power of 70 uh, tattooed on his arm. And he's had it tattooed on his arm explicitly for the purpose that it raises questions in other people's minds. And they say, what's that on your forearm? He says, it's a tattoo. Yeah, but what is it? Well, it's the likelihood of dot, 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 dot. That's something that you might like to think about. <laughs> Whatever your age, I, as, I was think, as I was preparing for this sermon, I, I had this mental image of every single one of us sort of booking into the tattoo parlour down the road <laughs> and explaining to your neighbour, you know, that you're going to the tattoo artist down the road to get this um, tattooed on your forearm and them saying, why? Why are you doing that? And you say, well, it's the anthropic principle. Have you heard about it? And then going into detail and, and explaining the, the chances of us existing as we are is like all these coins covering America. It is remarkable. And so as I come to land, so to speak. We have no fear of science. But actually there is an opportunity here to talk about our faith in the context of science. You know, down the pub or over the school gates or the colleagues at work or the neighbours over the fence. Encourage them, invite them to ask the why questions. Why do we exist? Because really, science can't answer those questions. Talk about the anthropic principle. Get the tattoo. But at the, at the very least, don't be phased by scientists because they exercise faith as much as anyone else. And to feed the wonder of the writer of Psalm 19 had when he wrote that psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God. Creation declares the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, say thank you for the many Christians who are at the forefront of, of the scientific endeavour. Thank you for their faith and we pray that more and more scientists would come to realise that this cannot just be chance. That all the evidence points to the fact that there is a creator God that holds all things together. And we pray for ourselves that we might not be afraid to talk about our faith to our neighbours and our colleagues and our friends and our families. Give us the words to say in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>